Hello, hello. Welcome back to Almost 30 Podcast. And if you're new, welcome. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. If you're new, happy end of year. Get ready. Yes. We always do a whole a whole just makeover at the top of the next year. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we kind of uh, like roll in. We're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yes. We change up everything all the time. We, we never stop changing, evolving, and growing. But that's like, I don't know if it's the world today, but when you look at something one day, you're like, this is incredible. And the next day you're like, this exists. I know. We were just on a call before and it was like, yeah, we'll discuss the rebrand um, in January. And I was like, we are rebranding. I know. <laughs> Again. Well, I was like, uh, we're going to refresh things, but also maybe change colors and styles. <laughs> and, and then I was like, I guess we're going to be basically rebranding. <laughs> but I was looking at our cover art too. And I was like, I had brown hair. Like, I was just like... Mm-hmm. It's like... We can switch out the photo too. 100%. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so if you're feeling the need to refresh and rebrand your life, do it. If yeah. not... Live your life. It if does that help. doesn't involve any part of your life, I am jealous. It does help. Even if you're just like, let me let me refresh what I wear every day. Let me refresh yes. what I do in my daily routine. It kind of gives a little... That's why life edit is so good. I talk about that in uh, my solo episode that I did um, on the 21st of December. And I talked a little bit about just like winter solstice and the season and how important the life edit is. And um, the life edit was an episode that I did in 2020, I believe. And Mm -hmm. that was basically all the steps I took to do like a cleanse, reset, clear out of all aspects of my life, which is digital, which is relationships, which is my closet, which is my pantry. Just really looking at everything with like a fresh lens of wondering if that's going to be part of the story of the person that you want to be in the future. Definitely. I mean, you can never like underestimate the power of even just simply cleaning that one drawer. Yes. I know that like the life edit is so much deeper, but even just on the aesthetics, it's like that one drawer that kind of haunts you where you open it and you get frustrated and you're like, wait, I don't have to be frustrated every day. And it it clears something else um, that you can't even really describe. But yeah, it's so, so powerful. I was listening to the psychotherapist talk and they were talking about, you know, they had... They were in the room with a person, like a client, and they were talking about how this person, you know, wanted to change their life, was like really depressed and anxious and all these things. And they were like, okay, well, you know, what's your house look like? How is your room? And, you know, it was like a pit, just like so messy. And they're like, well, what's holding you back from cleaning your room? And it just like is interesting how we look at like the microcosm really brings up a lot of what's happening in the macrocosm. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of the work of, um, you know, Jordan Peterson really brings up like, If you want to change the world, you have to start by cleaning your room first. And I think in this world today, we look at everything from like the lens of like the grandeur that exists online and social media. And we really don't think about, you know, what it would be like to have a really clean closet or a really clean bedroom or feel like all the clothes in our closet feel really good on us and feel Mm -hmm. like they fit or, you know, have peace within all of our relationships. I think there's so much that we can do within our life that we have access to supporting and changing that sometimes we overlook because we're so obsessed with like changing the world or changing, Mm -hmm. you know, all these things that essentially are usually outside of our control. Yeah. And it kind of ties into, you know, what we wanted to talk about today, like just around finances, where like I feel like that's always been a mirror for me. Like how if I'm not looking, I have had seasons where I'm like so allergic to looking at my bank account. And 
that's created more distress and problems than just looking at it. And what's so hard about cleaning the closet? What's so hard about looking at your bank account? And it is such a mental game. And I think there's a lot of like shame there. There's avoidance. There's numbing because we want to do the other thing, Um, whether it's spending money rather than looking at the bank account and just saying, fuck it. But I think like I've noticed such a shift when I've literally just kind of, I've kind of muted that voice inside my head that says, don't look at it. It's better that way. And then I'm able to kind of see it all. Just like if you clean your closet and you see everything and you're like, okay, I've organized my socks over here and over here. And now you're able to be like, what do I really need? What is the issue? How can I organize this in a way that makes me feel more confident or peaceful, whatever, however you want to feel. And the money thing has always been something that's like told me more of what's going on in me. Yes, totally. I think that's with so much. It's like, and we talked about this in our episode that we did the stories we tell ourselves, but our problem is not the truth. You know, our problem is our relationship to the truth. Because, say, for an example, you have $46 in your bank account and I have $0. That is a lot of money for me. But, say, for you, you're used to having this amount of money. The story you're telling yourself is, is that $46 is not enough. The story I'm telling myself is that $46 is a lot. So we kind of come into these situations with like truthful, factual things within money and within um, finances, and then sort of add these stories um, to it, which is really the most important. But yeah, I remember most of my 20s was sort Mm -hmm. of not looking at it. And I remember too, I don't know if you ever had this, but when I was in, I was in like some debt in when I first moved to LA when I had quit and was like doing all the side jobs. And I remember it was like I was probably like seven thousand dollars in debt at that time. And I remember like the negative. It's like almost like I forgot about seeing the negative and I was just like it became <laughs> you know that becomes the new zero. Totally. Where you're like, oh that's my new zero. Mm-hmm. And I, I can see why that happens for so many people. I think the average American has like $500 in their savings and is $6,000 in debt. But it's like, it just makes so much sense because even with emails, when we think about our emails, say a lot of people have like thousands and thousands and 20,000, it seems like a lot, but it becomes people zero. Yeah. And how many times in life are we sort of getting to those limits where the upper limit is changing or the baseline is changing and we sort of let it happen over time because we just don't face it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely... Talking remember. about your emails specifically. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> that will probably never change unless I completely delete my email. <laughs> Sometimes I thought about having the amazing support of Maggie and Jillian to like clean up my emails. Yeah, man. Well, it's no. just at this point, it's a circus in my email where I'm like, Jesus, I'm signing up for so many, like I unknowingly, because you're like you know, you unknowingly sign up for like whatever brand's newsletter, yada, yada. And I'm not good about um, unsubscribing, but, but yeah, I think, I think, yeah. Oh yeah. The zero. (laughs) I just remember being like, oh, well, to the point of like being negative in your account. (laughs) I remember (laughs) when I was living in New York, also in my twenties. And I just remember comparing, just being like, okay, well, you know, negative 200 isn't as bad as what I was last month, the negative something, you know, just having these moments of like, oh my goodness. But also I do think it, it, it was like double-edged. It like definitely protected me from not having a mental breakdown. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. So true. You know, but Mm -hmm. then also it definitely didn't motivate me to get better at it. I was kind Mm -hmm. of like giving myself those like, it's okay. It was better than last month. (laughs) Excuse me. 100%. (laughs) And at a point I can also see too, where it happens, where you're like, what is the point? What's I know. The point? What, what happens at zero? And I think the way our credit systems structure, the way our financial system structured is that it's like, there's sometimes, you know, the credit card companies are making so much money off of interest from you and yes. banks and financial institutions are making so much money off of interest that they don't really care if you're in debt or you're in credit card debt at all. And I remember my credit card had a year of like no interest payments and I was like, cool. So I remember the first time that I started to get interest payments on the credit card debt that I had. And I it was like 25, it was so much money. And I was, yeah. I literally like, I was like, <laughs> I could not believe it. And also yeah. I just couldn't believe that this happens to so many people. And not that it wasn't like, I can't believe it's happening to me, blah, blah, blah. But I just was like, wow, I see this. I see how bad this is and mm-hmm. how detrimental it can be to really get yourself in credit card debt. And I was like, dang, in my life, I would love to have so much money where I could support people that I love if they're ever in credit card debt to like get out of credit card debt. We actually had um, uh, a good friend of Justin's who lived in New York. These, this couple, another one of Justin's friends was in really, really deep credit card debt and they were really well off. So they supported him and gave him the money to pay off his credit card debt. And then he paid them back monthly every single month. So I was wow. like, oh, I would love to support people in doing that because it just becomes this like bottomless pit where oh, you cannot... Yeah. You know, you cannot get yourself out of mm-hmm. it's it's bad. And I remember my paychecks too would be like a certain amount of money. And then I remember one time I bought Louboutins <laughs> for like seven hundred dollars. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that leaves you with like a hundred dollars to spend for two weeks. Like, and I'd be like, it's like a game. Of course, like, yeah. okay, I'm gonna spend ten dollars at Trader Joe's for mm-hmm. a bag of money. you know. It's like, dude, there's like the the mental gymnastics that you have to go through it, but. I think what I've realized within my relationship to money, my relationship to anything, my relationship to my body, to dieting, to relationships is that, you know, one habit, whether that's looking at your credit card statement every month or whether that's saving $5 a week, doesn't change the problem. And I think for both of us, you know, we know that, that for me, the habit of I invest money every single month into both my cryptocurrency account and into my public with stocks and then also into um, Vanguard where I have my 401ks. And it's not like me doing that has solved everything. It's like the relationship to all of that is most important. And I think everyone that's listening to this podcast sort of is on the same page that we know that it's all about the energetics behind the things that we're doing and not just like the things that we're doing. So understanding our relationship with money and sort of where it comes from, how we can heal it um, is the very baseline and the most important part. And then after that, it's the steps that you can take or the habits that you can take or the tactical ways in which you can support yourself. Yeah. Uh, Lacey, Lacey Phillips' work, To Be Magnetic, they talk about like a high worth choice and a low worth choice. And I feel like I've been more in tune with that because of her work, just thinking about, okay, so what is the high worth choice in this situation? Whether it's, you know, indulging in a massage. This month, Sam used to like indulging in self-care and I kind of overspend on self-care. Is it spending money on that massage or is it paying my credit card off in full? And for me... If that were the case, like that was definitely, I feel like that was like my life in New York chapter one. Mm -hmm. 
because I was like running myself into the ground. And so I would like overspend on things to make me feel better. Yes. But the high worth choice for me would be to pay off my credit card in full because like that's not something that I was doing and it's something that I would want to improve upon and kind of show myself that I can and build confidence around. And even though self-care sounds great and you should take care of yourself, it's like that in that case would be like a lower self-worth choice because I had always overspent it on that stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like becoming more aware of the that for me has been really powerful and then connecting it too to like the origin of the story. And usually it's our parents, right? Or whoever raised us or kind of modeled those um, money stories to us. And yeah, for me, I just kind of had to look at that and be really honest about it because I think there can be a lot of shame around money and just kind of how people are around money and just get really real about it and know that it's not like a life sentence. Like this isn't you forever. (laughs) Like you can absolutely kind of with those actions, whether big or Mm -hmm. small, really begin to not only change like the neural pathways, but begin to change like, yeah, the habits of, of the everyday that you might be doing subconsciously. Yeah. I think that's an important point about the future you. And I think, you know, as far as like consciousness goes, we're, from what we know, the only species that thinks about future selves or future versions of ourselves or thinks about the future. And I think that's like the biggest part of our evolution or even evolving in our Saturn return and past it where you're like, oh, I actually want to trade the pleasure that I could get today from this self-care, massage, shopping, whatever it is, and give myself peace over the long term by Mm -hmm. paying off my credit card. And I think that's something that I've had to get better and better at because I've been someone that hasn't I do do that, but I there have been a lot of areas in my life where I haven't really done that. Where it's mm-hmm. like, I actually would rather put this $100 away towards a house that I want to potentially buy or rent in the future rather than buying this shirt or whatever. So I think over time, we get more familiar with making decisions for our longer term selves or making decisions with that sort of consciousness to think about the future versions of ourselves. Mm. But I think it's really, really um, important to become more friendly with that future version and making intending to what they need so that we can be more mindful as we move move ourselves closer to that like ideal version. What have been some like ways in which you feel like whether it's tools or practices that have just kind of tightened up everything for you? I know you've always been I feel like you grew up with a pretty yeah. good money story, but even just as an adult making more money and being in business. Yeah. I think my yeah, my money story was that it will definitely cause fights in the family. So I was always like, okay, I need to have money. I need to be making money. So I started working at like when I was 13, I was working at this like nursing home and then I was babysitting. So I started working at a young age and I realized, I think the very most important thing for me that I realized that I'm glad I realized through working was that money for me meant freedom and money for me meant that I could do what I want in quotes. Mm -hmm. So I could go to whoever's house order a pizza, go to the mall, you know, do all these things. So money was really important for me for freedom when I felt like I didn't really have as much freedom as I wanted being younger. And then also, you know, I loved to shop being uh, in Ohio. I was like a little shopaholic, which was like what I thought was an identity, <laughs> part of my character. <laughs> and you were the little, you were a master shopper. I was master shopper. So bitch, sit down. Okay, so I was, I was, um, I was, <laughs> 
mini, or I was like peasant shopper. Lindsay was master shopper on her, her AOL screen name was master shopper. I was like, you know, just always at the mall. And I did realize too that in buying clothes, that was also like a part of my expression. So money also meant that I could express myself. I could feel good about myself in mm-hmm. the way that I was doing that at that phrase. So getting really granular about the things that money was allowing you to do or not allowing you to do or making you feel. So money meant freedom, but it was also complicated because my family had um, certain situations that were going on um, that caused just some angst or riff or you know different sorts of ways in which they wanted to spend or not spend or jobs being lost, etc. So the, mm-hmm. it was pretty complicated, but I was really grateful that for the most part, freedom was the main thing that I really got from it. So I've had a stronger money story in that sense because I always felt like the harder I worked, the more that I could make, which was true through serving and the things that I was doing and even through our business today. And I think the most important parts and phases of my money journey was reading Ramit's book. I think Ramit's book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Ramit's been on our podcast um, twice. Um, He's incredible. And a lot of the tips in that that were tactical, but also about giving yourselves space in your life where you could have um, no limits on your spending. And that for me was helpful because much like dieting, and I keep bringing this back to dieting because I think there's so many parallels. When you are on a diet and you're always restricting and you don't have a place in which you feel like you can um, allow yourself to nurture yourself and nourish yourself and really enjoy food because food is meant to be delicious and amazing and fun, then you will eventually binge. So in this case, you will eventually binge and overspend. And for me, that was overspending. That was just kind of blowing it all out. So when I allowed myself that space in my life where I could have no limits, which is food. For me, that's food. I love to buy really healthy, high-quality, nourishing food. It allowed me to feel less pressure on the other areas of my life with spending. So I think that tip of having one area in your life that's really meaningful to you and having no limits on it, Mm -hmm. um, which will allow you to feel more balanced in all the other areas of your life. Yeah, completely. Yeah, that book, I still keep it and I still kind of just open open it every once in a while to remind me of like... You know, there are just very tactical ways in which it's either like pay off debt or you can kind of consolidate your credit cards. I definitely use that. Yeah, Yeah. credit card consolidation is huge. And I think also paying off that tip, Nicole Lappin has talked to us about paying off your credit card first over anything over even having a savings is huge because Mm -hmm. the amount of that you're paying on credit card debt each month is insane. Yep, completely. And I think for me, just getting really, really clear and confident about like my personal systems. So whether, you know, you mentioned it earlier, it's like automatic transfers to crypto, automatic transfers to stock investment, automatic transfers to your savings, even like using, I have like a little, I've had digit forever. Um, I don't even... I don't know if it's the best out there, but it's just like basically you have goals where it's like, oh, I want to I want to uh, save X amount for a trip next summer. I want to save X. X amount for a wedding. I want to save X amount for whatever. And then it basically algorithmically will just put a, a certain amount away based upon what's in your account. You can do limits on what they take out. And it's super, super helpful. And what I've really gleaned too is like the power of continuously being a student. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for example, like on public.com, that's why I love it so much because 
the community aspect, one, makes me feel like, okay, I'm not the only one that it's like asking questions. And two, like it kind of gives me confidence to know that like I can start investing, for example, in the stock market, like with any amount of money. And I feel like it stops a lot of people because they feel like they need to have tens of thousands of dollars to start investing in the stock market or in crypto. And that's just not true. And so a lot of my questions and like self-perceived challenges were really like answered and cleared when I like just dove into the app, into the community aspect of the app. And that just taught me so much about like keeping my shame, like to just keeping my shame, like (laughs) breathing life into my shame rather than being like, you know what? I'm going to become like a curious student. Mm -hmm. Everyone started somewhere. And I just love, I love public for that, for that reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a great point too. You know, the, the evolution of using technology for me has been huge. Like having reoccurring investments go to my public.com stock portfolio, having reoccurring investments go to my public crypto accounts has been so helpful. So whether it's $50 or $5,000 a month, whatever it is, I think that's made the biggest impact for me, finding ways to automate. And I really love that. You know, I've been able to do that within public.com. And the crypto conversation is cool. And I'm really grateful that, you know, public also has crypto investing. Justin, you know, my husband is really into Web3 and crypto and all of that. And he has been, you know, since I met him, I remember eight or eight years ago sitting in New York and he's like, I have this thing called ETH blah, blah, blah. And he's like talking about ETH. So I've also become someone that's been investing in cryptocurrency, mostly Ethereum, some Cardano, Bitcoin, and then just whatever else kind of tickles my fancy at the time. But I love that public makes it easy to kind of consolidate everyone's interest in that. And because it's so community focused, it's nice because you can sort of understand it through conversations rather than like reading things that sometimes are hard to translate. So it's like going on the app, you're like following your friends, like our friend Milana is on there. You'd be like, okay, what is she trading? What is she interested in? And I really love the social aspect. And I feel like that's like a trend now in every space to make everything social. They're like, this is dog walking, but social. This is like, (laughs) you know, like camping, but social. And you're like, I don't want my whole life to be social, Mm. but I really like this part because it makes the barrier to entry so much lower. And then I think for me, the one of the most important things about public and why I really wanted to work with them was because they don't sell um, your information. So they don't sell any of the trades that you're doing to market makers or other investing apps. And I think if you know, we all recall what had happened with Robinhood and you know the AMC sort of debacle issue, scandal situation that happened. A lot of the issue was behind the fact that Robinhood is selling a lot of your trades or they're selling their trades to market makers. So they're making Mm -hmm. money um, on the back end by selling your information. And I really appreciate that public doesn't do that. I think that's like something that's very important to me because I hate when it's happened so much when it's like, you know, I think... One thing I've realized in my life definitely is that free is never free as much as we think. And I love Mm -hmm. to receive and I love to be like, free is never free. There always is something, some data is being sold or something is happening. So the fact that they support, you know, fair and transparent investing is something that I'm really excited about our community being able to dig into. Definitely. And I feel like the vibe, the vibe on public kind of inspired in a way like, even just having conversations with friends. And we've started to have that yeah. more often um, within our group of friends. And 
I think there's something super, super empowering about that where we bring our own expertise, our gifts, our resources, our questions, and are able to really like lift one another up, you know, kind of rise together. So yeah, I just, I just love, love, love the vibe. And the app is super easy just on that on that note, like it's super easy to navigate, which I've been more and more picky about because <laughs> it's so frustrating yeah. when it's like hard to kind of navigate an app. I don't understand a lot of what's happening and I'm learning. So I want the app experience to be super, super seamless. And it is. So um, yeah. yeah. I think that's a great point. Just like as a last thing is um, having an open and honest dialogue with friends you know, about it. So Lindsay and I are part of like a, a group called Crypto Coven with... Some of our dearest friends, Milana, Natalia, Leticia, Crystal, Lindsay, and I, and we speak very openly and honestly about money and numbers and money shadow and what we're going through and all of these things in an effort to support one another in building the wealth and the wealth consciousness that we desire. And I feel like it's been really, really powerful coming mm-hmm. from different situations and places um, in our lives to come together with that intention. And I've really loved sort of breaking the barrier of that belief previously that you couldn't talk about money with girls, you know, or women. Yeah. Like it was like something that we had to be competitive about or, you know, hide behind the scenes. So it's been amazing. Yeah, truly. So just sort of to summarize before we head into the episode, um, when Lindsay and I were talking, really the biggest mistake that people make around money is thinking that just one action or step or one investment or one time looking at their account is going to make a difference. And we all know that it's really the energetics behind it, understanding the relationship with money that is most important. There's so many things that can affect your relationship with money. It could be religion, uh, gender, culture, um, childhood upbringing, education. There's so many aspects. So thinking about the ways in which those parts have influenced your relationship with money are huge. We suggest journaling or doing a to-be-magnetic practice to identify your current relationship with money, being really honest, being really upfront, um, maybe doing some meditation to bring through some situations in your life that may lead you to understanding your relationship with money better. And then you can also identify a version of a healthy relationship with money that you seek to have. So is that being able to spend unlimited on vacations? Is that owning a home? Is that having a certain amount in your account? What would it feel like to have a really healthy relationship with money? You can also list out any unhealthy financial thoughts or practices that you do. Uh, Maybe it's overspending. Maybe it's keeping a balance on your credit card. Maybe it's binge spending. Whatever it is, just writing those out really honestly and openly so that you can take a look at those and just kind of take the energy and charge from them. You can also decide what healthy financial thoughts or practices you want to adapt. Um, Maybe that's uh, different affirmations. Maybe that's um, different ways in which you operate with money in the world. But just really thinking about some tactical ways in which you can enhance your relationship with money. And then as a last thing, just really figuring out the roadmap for you to implement any changes in your life. So what are going to be the next best steps for you to implement these changes so that you can have a better relationship with money and everlasting wealth in your life? And it can happen quicker than you think. You know, I think we look at some of these like hurdles or things that have built up over time, like poor money habits or finance habits. And it's like, actually, it could change quicker than you think. And so kind of just leaving room for that possibility, I think gives you a lot of confidence. I agree. 
Um, today we have on Katy Perry. She is the VP of marketing of public.com. Um, and this was just a really great conversation around financial wellness, around investing, uh, especially as women stepping into the space of the public.com app itself. Um, and I just, yeah, I loved it. She's, she's a wealth of information and, um, is super passionate um, about investing and has been for years. So it was actually really cool to kind of like track her journey with investing. It was super, super inspiring. Yeah. And I love that we talked about the gender gap within investing. So talking about women underrepresented and underserved communities and in investing and really what we can do to bridge the gap to get more people investing so that they can build long-term generational wealth. So I'm hopeful that some of our stories and our tips were really helpful for you at the beginning of this conversation. It's always a pleasure to serve you and to be in conversation with you. And I know that you'll enjoy this. Would love to share ways that you can get involved with public.com. Yeah. And for anyone that wants to try out public.com, uh, you can receive $10 in free stock in one of the nine popular stocks uh, when you go to pblc.co slash almost 30. That's pblc.co slash almost 30. Thank you all so much for listening. If you're new to Almost 30, we talk about so much. We talk about spirituality, self-development. This one is a financial wellness episode and we're just hoping to support you in your evolution and make you feel a little less alone. Make sure you're subscribed to Almost 30. Just click subscribe and every episode will be in your inbox. Major announcement from Almost 30. We are hosting Space Camp on January 28th. This is our favorite event of the year. Camp Almost 30 has gotten a little bit of a rebrand because we were feeling like, I think we're ready to really go there (laughs) with our community. So we are welcoming guests who we feel have really taken us to a whole other planet in our interviews and in our conversations with them. So guests like Brie Melanson, she is going to be doing a workshop on psychic development, find and tap into your gifts. She is a teacher and channel and one who has really been such a support and teacher for Chris and I throughout the years. We are welcoming Jordan Younger. So she is going to help us find our galactic Origins. She is the podcast host of the Balanced Blonde podcast. She's an author. She's a spiritual teacher. We're also welcoming Lee Harris, who recently was on the podcast in a two-part episode, and he is going to channel the Z's live for us. How special. He does not do this often, so we feel very, very, very lucky. And we will also be welcoming Sandra Walter. So she is going to be teaching on Ascension 101 the crystalline grid and higher realm support. She is so special. She's a light worker and teacher and has been on the podcast. And Kristen and I are going to be sharing a very, very, very special experience, heavenly coated Reiki infused sound bath. And I'm excited for you all to join us. So this is happening on January 28th from 10 to 2 p.m. PST. Make sure you sign up. Space is limited, but it's absolutely free absolutely free. We're excited to welcome you. And this is the kickoff to membership opening. So membership is going to be open indefinitely now. So you can join membership for six months at a time and really, really focus 
uh, and support your growth. It is our favorite place to just come and be ourselves and really get super intimate with you all, more intimate than on the podcast. So I'm excited for you all to join the membership, but head to almost30.com slash space dash camp. That's almost30.com slash space dash camp space dash camp. (laughs) Say that 30 times. Almost30.com slash space dash camp to sign up for camp. Absolutely free. We will see you on January 28th. I feel like you've been investing for a little bit longer than I have. But you know, when we heard about and started using public, we were like, oh wow. Okay. Like I felt personally, I was like, this is less intimidating. So I'm really excited about today's conversation because I think a lot of our um audience is curious. They've I feel like it's more in conversation now, just kind of like not only managing our money, but investing. So yeah, this is gonna be really, really fun. Yeah, I'm always surprised when I come when I converse with our community about like where they are in the process. And I feel like a lot of people don't even know where to start with it. And it just feels like one of those things that it's like too intimidating where you're kind of like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'll do this later. I'm gonna figure it out. You know, it's just something also too that I think women, because we've always assumed that men do the investing or they kind of manage the money or they have access to it. So they are able to manage it. So women are just kind of like, oh, maybe I'll learn later. And Mm. for men, it's more so in the zeitgeist when they're younger to start investing and start doing all these things. What have you seen with public in your, you know, experience with this of women's reaction and like how women approach investing differently? Yeah. I think there's definitely a psychological barrier to entry for a lot of women. And it, it's not that surprising. I mean, if you think about just historically, like it, it wasn't that long ago that women can couldn't open a bank account on their own. And then you have images in pop culture, all those Wall Street movies in the 80s. Like it was always white men in their 40s and 50s, sort of the power broker, sort of sharky kind of image. And that's just intimidating. Like if you just get hammered with those images over time, you're like, okay, this isn't for me or you know, I don't know enough to do this. And that's sort of the the reason public was founded is to kind of like break out of those exclusive circles and create an environment that just felt like a different culture around the stock market. And for us, we're 40% women in the community. And that's always been really important to us, even when we were growing the company, like in terms of where we were acquiring users, we were going to different places and groups instead of just saying, okay, we're going to go to this community of traders, because that would have just reinforced those sort of patterns. And so we do see that when women join the community, having that social piece, seeing other women in there, um, it just reinforces that this is normal. And to your point about it being mainstream, it's it's completely mainstream now. So the curiosity is there. We just kind of got to bridge that gap and get over that psychological hump that a lot of people have. Mm. Yeah. The the social piece is so interesting. I'm, I'm curious, like as public was just being designed and refined. It's like, did you come up against certain regulations around like how it could be talked about, how the, this information could be shared in a social setting? Yeah. I think the, so, the, the perspective on social from the beginning was always social as an educational vehicle. So there's other obviously investing communities. There's even investing apps that have social features, but the, the function that the social serves is much different. Um, so the tone of our community is much more knowledge sharing, collaboration. Uh, we're primarily long-term investors. So about 90% of our members say they're long-term investors. So you don't get that sort of 
stock chart talk that you would see in some of these niche communities and you get broader conversations. And when the norms are more about like, hey, I'm following this trend. Here's what I learned. What do you all think? And not influencing people. It really changes the dynamic. And that's the dynamic we have. We are in a regulated industry. So we do have a lot of like policies in place. We have community guidelines that everyone um, has to accept upon signing up. Some of those are just about general respect, treating others with respect, arguing the idea, not the person. And we're also very mindful of you know good information sharing on the app and, and monitoring for anything that is potentially against those guidelines. That's an interesting... I like that. Arguing the idea, not the person. That's a good one. I kind of want to like take that as like a broader stroke with any social media. But for people that, you know, maybe aren't investing at all, you know, don't really know where to start, what would you suggest for them as like a first start? Yeah, I think it's interesting when people first come in, they always immediately jump to what stock should I buy? And there's so much more that goes before that because nobody's in the same circumstance, nobody is kind of the same. I'm very risk averse as an investor. I would rather do slow and steady, long-term. There's other people that like risk and want to take more risk on. So I'm not a financial advisor, but financial advisors will say to kind of look at your own uh, financial situation, make sure you have a solid bedrock of savings and you know, invest with what you can. Uh, I will say you know, with the changes in investing with what's called fractional investing, you can own a small slice of a share. So in the past, if you wanted to buy a a stock like Amazon, currently trading at $3,000 for one share, back in the day, you had to have 3K in your bank account to even get in on Amazon. And with what Fractional's done is given people the ability to start small and start that learning journey much sooner. And then as they build their confidence and understanding, they can kind of grow with their portfolio. So starting small is something we see all the time. There's a lot of college students in our community. They'll put $20 in and create a little portfolio with a few stocks in there, stock slices. And then they're learning and going, but they're not having to put too much skin in the game to start. Mm -hmm. So I think it's good to kind of understand yourself and like what makes you feel good. And people have different relationships with money too. It's a whole other thing. And then just understand you can start small. It's totally cool. You can build over time and, you know, there's no pressure to dive in, you know, immediately. Mm -hmm. And on the app, and this is for our listeners who haven't um, been on public before, but are there different ways that people can kind of find their like comfortable niche of the way they want to talk about it. So are there more like advanced conversations or how do you like categorically kind of divide that in a way? Yeah, there's it's interesting. It's it's one community, but then there's communities within the community. So we'll have like hashtags that you can follow um, or you can you can participate in yourself. You know, some of the some of the conversations on the app are more kind of sophisticated assessments of an industry and people will be comparing different companies. Some are about just holistic financial wellness. And you can find the people that kind of speak to you and where you're at and find your sort of tribe within the community. Um, But I think the blend of conversations is so healthy because even for a sophisticated investor, having someone talking about, you know, emotional relationships with money and sharing sharing insight there, it's still important and valuable. And that's one of my favorite things about the community. It's not just about investing as you think about it. It's sort of about your relationship with money and how investing fits within everything else you have going on in life. What are some of the trends in people's emotional relationship with money that you've seen? We've we've seen a lot of conversations around just how different that is for different people. Someone uh, a few weeks ago, we have a poll feature mm-hmm. and she asked, you know, money makes you feel blank. And one was 
uh, scared, one was powerful, one was in control, um, one was guilty. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting just seeing the range of feelings people have. And a lot of that we inherit and just understanding how money makes you feel is really important too, as you're kind of starting to invest. Um, and so it's everyone, that's kind of what you see when you have a more diverse community, people coming from different places. And that's just great from a representation point of view too, where you go in and you see other people who also have trepidations about money and you don't feel like an outsider. Mm-hmm. What, what do you, what's, how does it make you feel? What's your word? I think for me, I would say in control. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I associate money with like independence. Yes. And that's that kind of, I went to a seminar, actually, there's this woman who was amazing and she kind of studies this and she talks about how a lot of like immigrants have that mindset. And like my mom's family immigrated here and like, I can kind of start to parse like that feeling of money being a a tool for control of your life, independence. Um, And I was talking to someone else who grew up with a lot of wealth and she was saying money made her feel guilty because she always had it. And as Mm -hmm. she got older, she met people who didn't grow up that same age. So it's it's really interesting to unpack that. Mm -hmm. Do you see a trend in what your users are investing in? Yeah, we see that a lot of people might come in you know, looking for one thing to buy and they'll diversify over time, which is really the kind of behavior we want to promote in the app. Um, a lot of the the conversations around like meme stocks, uh, you know, a lot of pundits are kind of, kind of poo-pooing that and saying, oh, these people don't know what they're doing. You know, they're just going to buy one stock. They're gambling. What we see is that people have the propensity to evolve. And I really see the meme stock movement for a lot of people is just a new entry point to learning. So my entry point to learning about stocks was my 401k. I had no idea what was even in there for like five years. But once I started digging, that's how I started learning. So people are learning in different ways. And we see that as people engage in the community, participate in some of our features, like we have these live shows that go over market news, they start to kind of evolve as investors over time. And that's kind of what we're trying to do as a business. Mm. And for anyone that doesn't know, what are what are meme stocks? Meme stocks are are stocks that uh, are of companies where within social media, uh, groups of people will rally together and collectively make moves on the stock. It kind of all came to a head with the GameStop saga, if you would call it, last February, where you had a lot of people in the Reddit community rallying around GameStop, which at the time was you know essentially a failing business or a declining business. And when you had people talking on social media, they could actually together have a lot of power. And that was completely new. Usually the power dynamic on Wall Street was around what's known as institutional investors, which are banks and large financial institutions, which have a lot of capital and a lot of power. And you saw people rallying together to sort of counter that. So it's basically just when there's some sort of movement around a stock that might seem random and it's people rallying. And, and those, those situations tend to be volatile. And we actually put safety labels on meme stocks in our app. So people know like this could change really quickly. The tides of the sentiment of the people rallying around this could shift and the stock could change um, more than other stocks. So it's again, the context is important for a lot of people because I think there was a, a meme stock skit on SNL. That might be how someone started learning about this stuff. Are there other differentiating features of the app that really help people to yeah, want to learn learn more and just kind of get get their bearings as they learn more about investing? Yeah, we're all we're really trying to build a different experience around investing. Uh, so 
there's a lot of places where you can buy and sell stocks right now, like new ones every day. We want to kind of build an environment around it that's different and educational. So we have these daily audio shows in the app. Anyone can listen in on. We have one every morning at 9.15, right before the opening bell, where a credible financial journalist will run down the events of the day in a really accessible tone. So people can kind of set, set the mood for the day, understand what's going on. And we'll have multiple shows throughout the week on different trends. Could be cannabis investing, could be esports, um, really just to help people understand. We also have this town hall feature where our members can ask questions directly of public company CEOs who participate. So one of our first ones was Whitney Wolf Heard from Bumble. She was answering questions about the company from our members. And that's completely new too, because usually the the retail investor or everyday investors don't have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to continue to kind of innovate around that experience. I will say also, we don't have some of the more complex trading tools that tend to be a little riskier for newbies in our app. So things like margin trading, which means you're borrowing money to invest, um, options trading, they're a little more uh, sophisticated. And since we're mostly new investors, we don't have those features. Mm. What is the so? What are the features that you do have for those, or like things that new investors can kind of look forward to? Yeah, well, one, I obviously the community. the The community is a huge differentiating factor and a place to learn. We offer something called long term portfolio, where you can actually move uh, an investment you own into a special section of your portfolio, and we'll remind you if you try to sell it earlier that you meant to hold it on longer. And so things like that, it's it's really normalized in the community to to educate yourself and, and collaborate with others. And that's sort of the main behavior. So for new people, it's really great. They feel like they're coming into a place where they're welcome and they're comfortable and people feel okay asking questions. Mm-hmm. Our audience is very interested in health and wellness and self-development. Have you seen any trends in that space and kind of specific... Uh, companies that are really kind of like buzzing and on the rise? Yeah, uh, this definitely is an investment advice. I'll tell you generally, a lot mm-hmm. of the things I see sort of popping in the pandemic, a lot of people were talking about Peloton. Oh, uh, yes. Stay mm-hmm. at home fitness. Uh, that was a big one. More recently, Lululemon, they greatly exceeded their their revenue targets. Um, they had an earnings call a few days ago. And so that was another one that people really were really discussing. And what's interesting about kind of what you bring up about health and wellness is when the conversations in the community are broader, people can kind of bring their own lived experience to those conversations. So there might be you know, a, a boutique fitness uh, trainer in there talking about what they're seeing or someone who works mm. in sports. And there's things that we all have in our lives that are totally applicable to our decisions as investors, whether it's in work or personal life might be a product you have firsthand experience with. Oatly went public this year. A lot of people talking about Oatly. Someone mentioning they went to Starbucks, they were sold out. So it's anecdotal sort of stuff, but it's a good starting point. You know, you can look to the things you're interested in and do research in that space to get started. Does public have, like you were talking, you mentioned 401k stuff previously. Are they only for trading and buying and selling stocks or is there other things. For now, it's just a brokerage Mm -hmm. account where you're actively investing in stocks. We also have ETFs, which are essentially baskets of stocks, which beginners love. You might say, okay, I'm generally interested in streaming media platforms. There's ETFs that will take a bunch of companies in that space, bundle it together. And for beginners, 
benefit is you don't necessarily need to pick a winner. You don't need to pick one company. There's companies that are curating these lists that are sort of diversified within that space. So cool. What has been like your greatest stride since really being so, so in this space and investing yourself? Like how have you felt like you've grown as an investor? I was very fortunate, um, which is why I why I took this job actually. So when I was 18, my my father actually like, sat me down on a Sunday for like two hours. And I remember being like, oh God. Mm-hmm. And he <laughs> he like opened up Vanguard and I'm like, oh, here we go. But he that was just looking back, you know, when you're young, you like those yes. moments happen and you're like, yeah. oh, dad. But he really was he showed me how to do it. He taught me the basics and mm. he empowered me and said, you, you, can, you can do this for yourself. Here's why it's important. And I realized as I got older that that moment really doesn't happen for most people. A lot of people don't grow up around this stuff. We actually just, in a survey we pulled, uh, 56% of people who said they started investing in the last three years said they were a first-generation investor. Their parents didn't own stocks. And on top of that, they don't teach this stuff in school, which is also insane. And so I just kind of saw that as like, I was really lucky to have that moment. And I wanted to to be part of building something that would create that experience for more people. Mm. And that's sort of the reason I, you know, I never worked in financial services before this job. And I don't know if I would have, if it wasn't this exact opportunity and mission. Yeah. I had a similar experience and it was with Vanguard. My parents were like, and we used to take like, if I ever got money for Christmas or my birthday, my mom would take half of it and be like, we're in putting this in your account. And I would lose my mind. I'm like, what do you mean? I need to go to the mall. I know. I'm like, $30 is like leaving. And I remember I, I had, I got a hundred dollars. I forget how old I was. And I went to the bank and I had a hundred dollar bill and I, I brought it up to the bank and I was like, here's my hundred dollars. I'm investing it. And my mom had just told me what banks do. She's like, you put your money in, they give it to other people. But if you need your money out, and I was like, I don't want you to give this to anybody else. I want you to keep this back here, please. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, we'll keep the hundred dollars okay. back there. For you. I was like, this is not going to anybody else. I don't know how this is working. Um, but it is really important, I think, for any women that are listening that are moms or you know raising kids. It's really important. Although kids are like, oh my gosh, I roll, I roll mm-hmm. that you do talk to them about so credit important. you talk to them about money, you talk to them about investing and hopefully create an environment where it feels like it's not, they're not doing anything wrong or, you know, even depending on your, you know, your financial status, just making it like a comfortable conversation for, for them and to invest. Yeah. I think over time, money has become less taboo, which is good. I definitely grew up in a family that never talked about money. And um, I think in some cases, of course, like certain conversations around money, I think are rude. Mm -hmm. But money topics generally, they're actually interesting too. And I think we have a a lot of members that tell us that when they're kind of in public, they'll have their kids sit down with them and kind of walk through how it's working. Maybe let their kids kind of offer opinions. Like you can't use the app under 18, obviously. They're just kind of there on the side. But yeah, it's it's actually really interesting stuff when you bust it out of these like little Wall Street circles. Like I was never into that culture at all. But talking about businesses and trends, it's actually really interesting. And now there's so much intersection between like entertainers, celebrities, athletes, and like building businesses that it's just more people can grasp it much better. And the role models they're following, whether it's their favorite sports team or artists, like Rihanna just became a billionaire. Mm -hmm. Like you see the people you admire being very like uh, 
multifaceted and, and have that side of them. And I think that's one thing the generations coming in will have. That's such an asset that they're, the creators are following, whether they're YouTubers or TikTokers, they're actually building empires on mm. the side and giving younger people that entrepreneurial bug. Mm. Yeah, it would be cool for like, public to support some sort of like pre-18 yeah. education yeah. of, you know, it's almost like a an into the app experience, but it's also just so cool because I, yeah, I was someone who didn't learn about any of this ever. So it was always so intimidating and it just like, yeah, the runway becomes so long. You're like, I can't take off mm-hmm. until I learn all of these things. I guess what is, what is next for public? Like what can users look forward to? Um, working on a ton of more features around how to deliver educational content in innovative ways. People just aren't watching CNBC anymore. They're not, they're not getting the information in the same way. So we want to build those opportunities for them. And you'll see a lot more of that in the future. Cool. Yeah. With crypto, it's so interesting because it's like there's such a social media element to it. Like with the GameStop thing, there was like this whole social media movement. And then with crypto, there is this social media conversation. And I feel like it is mostly driven by even white men still. And it's, I didn't even realize the other day when I was like buying something on crypto, I didn't even realize what it was. And, and my husband, Justin was like, Oh, it, it basically, the company is looking to do this. I was like, it's a company. I was like, it's a thing. Yeah. Literally. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I literally was like money in space. Like Mm -hmm. don't even know what it's turning into. And I didn't know that they actually we're planning or to do something as a company that you invest in crypto. It was like, it was something I was like, oh, too much. And even with investing, sometimes I'm like, that's eh, a little too much. I'll kind of just invest here and kind of move on. But crypto is like way out there. Mm-hmm. What, what, I guess for anyone listening, what is cryptocurrency? Sure. I'm definitely not a crypto expert. Yes. So I'll try not to. It's, it's a digital currency, essentially. There's always like founders, there's a company behind it, and there's a technology that's kind of driving the currency, but it's basically a digital asset that you can use sometimes to exchange goods and services online. Sometimes, you know, there's not a lot of adoption of companies accepting cryptocurrencies. So a lot of it is uh, what people are doing is buying and holding because the value has been going up over time. There's a the, the big believers in crypto believe that this will continue to grow and be sort of like a universal de- universal decentralized means of transacting uh, money. But it's it's you know it's not that new even. It's just sort of breaking into the mainstream. But it's even you know it's mainstream in some cities and markets. And but there's so much more kind of potential, I guess, in terms of people adopting it. But it is like it's more volatile than regular investments, right? And because the decisioning around making investments in crypto is very different than stock market investing. Mm. Mm, I know. I'm like, I like the name. I honestly, that's what I do. I was like, I love flowers. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of it's reputation, branding, you know, hype. There's the, you know, there are things though, there's reasons why people make certain decisions and have different beliefs. I know with Ether, um, your Ethereum, it's, it's people believe it has a lot of broad applications and so they believe in it for that reason. Bitcoin people have different reasons. So kind of digging into that is is a lot different of an exercise than a company reporting its earnings or looking at, okay, Lulu exceeded their sales targets. Did you know that the drugs we take to manage period cramps were invented in the 1950s and exclusively tested on men? <laughs> what? It's literally outrageous that there hasn't been more innovation when it comes to periods. 
Deloon is changing that with dietitian formulated solutions that relieve our symptoms while actually supporting cycle health. Because our cycles affect every aspect of our wellness, period pain, mood, sleep, skin, metabolism, energy, and more. I, I don't know about you, but you know, some some months I'm like, oh my gosh, like everything has to stop, but it really can't because I'm experiencing you know, really bad cramps or headaches, fatigue, bloating, you name it. I've really tried a lot of things. And while I think I've gotten most of my symptoms under control, it doesn't mean they still don't happen and kind of disrupt my flow. So I was really excited to find Deloon and recommend it to a lot of my friends and they have been absolutely loving it. I was talking to a friend the other day that experienced like really, really bad periods, cramps and just all these symptoms. And she was so happy uh, to try Deloon. She's noticed that her symptoms have subsided. They don't last as long. They're not as intense and she can really just be in her life, which is really nice. So Deloon Nutritional Solutions are dietitian formulated to work with your cycle health, not against it. It'll help you all month long while also relieving your cramps and PMS during your period. Deloon creates effective drug-free supplements for period cramps, PMS, and optimal cycle health. So you can get the relief you need naturally, which I'm all about, and start feeling like your best self. So if you want high-potency, fast-acting supplements for your period cramps, PMS, and really getting your cycle health in its prime top condition, like 92% of their customers report that relief, try Deloon. Leave bad periods behind and start the new year off with 23% off. Go to cyclehealth.com slash almost 30 and use the code almost 30 to get 23% off plus free shipping. If Deloon isn't the right match for you, your money back is guaranteed. That's cyclehealth.com slash almost 30 and use the code almost 30 to get 23% off plus free shipping. I even think it's going to pave the way for something different. Like I kind of think it's going to be crypto is like a bridge. But for you personally, so you said you're a little bit less risk averse. So that means like, how are you doing it each month? Are you just adding in a certain amount? Are you looking at different companies for people listening you know, that are just starting to to get into this, maybe they have $300 or $100 they want to invest every month. Do you suggest that they look at companies that they're really into? Or what would you suggest as like their monthly maintenance? Yeah, I can't give direct advice, but what I do is I'll set sort of just goals for what I want to add to my brokerage account. On the 401k side, I've kind of like set it and forget it. I just like when the money comes out, I don't think about it. I don't spend it. But I think what's cool about public is you can kind of add as you can. Maybe one month you have a little more money. You decide to put some more in. Another month, okay, I'm maybe going on a trip. I'm going to go there. I think you know, it's important to save, but I'm a big like experiences person too. And I believe that investing in an amazing experience, whether it's a concert, like that's something I'll always do. It's a trade-off. Um, but you can go gradual. And I just, the biggest thing I think start small. It's, it's not, you know, a lot of people talk about being early in investing because of compound interest and like, of course, but there's also like a compounding effect of your education the earlier you start. So even if you're, it's only a little bit of money and it's not going to like materially change your life, that education over time is compounding too. And mm. I think that's a piece where people think, oh, I don't have enough money to invest. They think they need this big chunk of money. 
Um, but starting small could just get you going and get you smarter about it. So when you do have, you are earning more, you do come across the money you want to put in, you're already at a different stage. And do you have any stories like of users like that have, you know, really either learned a lot or have made investments that have just like really just been kind of like that they've learned, invested, and then just gotten back so much or just any user stories that we can leave our listeners with? Yeah, we have actually a really cool program going on now with an amazing nonprofit called Commonwealth. And they're a research-led nonprofit that is looking to kind of close the gap in terms of underserved communities and financial products. Um, So as part of the program, 300 women of color were given a portfolio on public for free. And um, that just kicked off about a month ago. But seeing their conversations in the app have been incredible. They're helping each other out. They're asking questions. We have um, we have a chat group feature in the app. So they're in these chat groups together, which is amazing because they can kind of collaborate with each other there in like a safe space and also in the feed. And we also have some amazing mentors signed on. Milana is one of our mentors. So, you know, some other great members that have stepped up as mentors to these women and just seeing kind of their progression even in the last few weeks has been incredible. And that's sort of like a microcosm of what we see every day with people just getting started. And, you know, I'll follow a bunch of our members and I'll, I'll, I'll think back of like when they first joined and their evolution is incredible. Uh, another member who's actually quite prominent is Isper Lawrence. She's like the face of the Airy brand. She joined, I want to say about a year ago. And her first posts were all about, hey, I'm just getting started. Does anyone have any like pointers or resources? I looked the other day and she was like comparing three stock charts, talking about trends. Like she's Mm -hmm. like on it. And what's amazing about her, she's got a big community around her. She's like bringing them into the process. So that kind of evolution on the education front is amazing. And uh, we see it every day. Wow. So cool. That's amazing. That is so amazing. Well, we're so grateful to work with you guys. It's Mm -hmm. been so much fun. And yeah, it just feels like the right fit for our community. It really brings in that community element. And I do love that you guys have great representation. Like we know amazing people that love and use the app. And investing has been something that is deeply important to me in my future, especially as people that run our own business and kind of worked you know, as contractors for a while and now this. So we love working with you and we're so glad that you came. Um, Where can people connect with you? Sure. Uh, You can follow us um, on Twitter at public, uh, Instagram, public app, public.com. If you don't have the app, give it a download. Everyone starts with a free slice of stock. So um, we hope to see you in the community there soon. Awesome. Thanks, Katie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Katie. That was such an incredible conversation with Katie from public.com, which is the platform that we use to invest. Yeah. And if you want to receive $10 in free stock in one of the nine popular stocks, pblc.co slash almost 30 is where you'll go to download the app. Again, it's super simple. It's very confidence building, uh, especially if you're new to investing. I'm excited to welcome you. pblc.co slash almost 30. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate you. Make sure to visit almost30.com for more from us uh, to connect with others in community. And as you probably know, we are opening up memberships soon. So stay tuned for that. We will see you at Camp Almost 30 on January 22nd. It is free. Make sure you sign up now.